Good to be with you this morning. If we haven't met yet, my name is Dan, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here for LifePoint Worthington, alongside Jason Phillips, who is our campus life pastor, doing a great job getting all of our uh, uh, life teams uh, organized and our life groups up and running. Where's, is Jason in here? Jason, thank you so much for the last couple months, the ways you've been serving, man. It's been a huge, huge blessing for our church family to have uh, someone like you helping to sheer, uh, steer the ship with life groups, man. Really grateful for your work there. Uh, hey, if this is your first time at uh, LifePoint Worthington, or maybe the last couple of weeks you've been checking us out from the distance, wanting to know like, hey, I'm, I think I might be ready to take a next step. I'd just like some more information. I've got two easy things that you can do today. Number one, you can take out your phone and scan that QR code that's on one of the seats in front of you that will bring you to a landing page lpguest.com and you'll find a number of things there one of them being a welcome card we'd love for you to take just a couple uh, not even a minute to fill that out we will follow up with you later in the week and as a way of saying thank you for being here and filling out that card we'd like to make a five dollar donation to one of our partner ministries in your honor Uh, second thing that we're gonna yeah it's getting real mystical in here Do you feel the moment? This is the God speaking to you. Um, (laughs) Secondly, uh, if you'd rather talk to a real life person instead of just sending uh, a form in, we're going to be hosting something called Campus Connect right after service today. It's about five minutes long. It is right here immediately after the service. Love to connect with you, answer any quick questions, and share with you about what are the easiest ways to take a next step. It's going to be right after service, five minutes, and then you can go get your kids if you have kids in LPK downstairs. So right after uh, service. Hey, uh, also, you know, on that uh, uh, QR code, if you scan that, you'll find notes uh, for today that you can follow along on. As, as always, it's very important to me that I get a high click rate and how many people open the notes. Very important to me. Uh, Okay, Uh, friends, today we have a special Sunday. Before we get started, uh, we're going to have a uh, a couple uh, from Columbus that I've been talking about the last couple weeks, Uh, Brian and Sarah. They're going to come up here. They are leaving uh, town soon to go plant a church up in the uh, uh, Cleveland area. So I wanted to take a moment, uh, one for our church family, to be able to pray for Brian and Sarah, but also recognize that uh, as we give, at LifePoint Worthington, it goes to uh, things far beyond just what's happening here in this community. As you are faithfully giving here at LifePoint, you are contributing to sending uh, church planters across the nation and missionaries across the world. And we get a small glimpse to hear what part of our giving goes to. And so I want to invite up Brian and Sarah to come up and share uh, for just a couple minutes about what they're doing and uh, Uh, We're going to get a chance to pray with and for them as a church family. So, Brian, why don't you introduce yourselves and uh, give us a heads up on what what you're doing. Yeah, so Dan told me that as long as I go, he'll just adjust his sermon to fit. And so that'll, so if I go 15 minutes, he said that's totally fine. So, um, Not true. Not true. (laughs) My name is Brian. Um, This is my wife, Sarah. We're actually from the Cleveland area. We currently live here in Columbus. I'm working on staff at a church in Upper Arlington. Uh, we helped be, we were part of the church planting of that church a number of years ago, um, but our hometown is the, the west side of Cleveland. Um, roughly 2020, God put a, a, a burden on my heart to plant a church, and so it was not on Sarah's heart at the time. I had somebody speaking into my life, and honestly, it wasn't really on my heart at the time either, but I had somebody share with me that 
you, the way you're thinking, the way you're operating, you probably need to go plant a church. And I was a youth pastor for life. That was what I thought. And God just totally radically changed our situation. I shared it with the church staff that I was working with and um, shortly later lost my job, spent a year out of ministry working in a greenhouse, and God just developed my heart for the lost. When you're in a church, sometimes it's hard to put yourself in the community of the people that you're living with. And so God just ripped me out of that and put me in the community. And so God really developed my heart during that time, and God changed our situation. And we ended up moving back here to Columbus for a two-year stint. Um, the church that we're working at now is the same church we worked at a number of years ago. And um, we've been helping them kind of take the next steps and, uh, in their journey. Um, I've been helped. I don't want to say co-lead pastoring, but that's what it's kind of worked out to be. Um, my senior pastor's wife is, uh, has terminal cancer. And so I've just been kind of stepping into helping him as he as he makes that transition to a facility, as they're a church plant, and they just got a facility in the last two years, and then just uh, growing in my own um, leadership and preaching and those sort of things. And so God's been working us through this journey. We've jumped on board with the Send Network over the last year or so, and um, been really blessed by uh, a number of LifePoint pastors over the last year or so, last two years. And so Dan and I, um, and Courtney and Sarah, we all went to school together in Chicago. And so when Dan moved to Columbus, I was like, welcome to the city, brother. And so uh, we've been working right. together periodically at Cohatch. Um, as I'm working on church plant stuff, I pop out of the office and go to Cohatch. And so uh, we'll sit there and uh, we'll talk about ministry and um, sermon prep and those sort of things. And so that's kind of, that's like the real quick version of our journey. Any major prayer requests that we can either write yeah. down or commit to yeah, praying? Get your, yeah, get your pens out. We got plenty. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we're planting a church this year, and so our first vision meeting is Thursday, and so that is the first meeting to the public, like, ever, and so I have 10 people registered. I have no idea if 40 people will show up, or the, hopefully those 10 do, right, the ones that did <laughs> register, right, we all know church registration works. Yeah, so we have our first meeting this Thursday night, so if you're thinking of it Thursday night between 6.30 and 8, please pray for us. That's going to be our first, like, open to the community, we're here, we're coming. Um, we're, our goal is to launch kind of in the September um, month, and so we've got to build a core team and group and everything, um, build a vision and a culture as we get there. And then we also, um, we were blessed with a building, which is an incredible gift. Um, the building is in really bad shape, and so we're in the process of either renovating it, which costs a bunch of money, or selling it, which costs a bunch of paperwork. And so either way, we're trying to discern what the Lord would have us do with that. And so if you just pray for wisdom as we either involve lawyers in selling it or we involve contractors in fixing it. And so either way, it's not a typical church plant journey. Normally, the pastor's focused on people, and I'm, like, working on paperwork. And it's like, what are we doing here? So, yeah, pray for that. Pray for that, you know, that me. We also have two elders on board already, and so for, from our sending churches, pray that the three of us would just have great unity as we make those decisions. Cool. Sarah, anything you want to add, or do you not want to speak at all? Oh, I'll talk. Okay, great. <laughs> no, um, just pray for our, I think, our family, too, um, just as we go through. It's just a big transition. The, the last couple of years um, has been a lot, and just um, moving into this, we're so excited, but we just, um, I just want, um, I think it would be helpful to just pray for our family, unity, and just health overall as we go into this next um, exciting season. And Brian didn't mention, I'll just mention briefly, we have three little ones uh, Mylan is um, six, Delaney is um, almost four, um, going on 14, and Gemma is 10 and a half months old. So those are our three kiddos. 
Yep. Cool. So pray for my wife. She's homeschooling them all, so she's a total champ. Yeah. So we're going to homeschool these kids and plant a church by God's grace. Awesome. Well, uh, we would love to take a moment to pray for you. And I'm going to encourage you guys as we pray for them. If, if you're comfortable with this, you can raise your hands. You can lift them up. And it's just a symbol of like, hey, we're with you. If your arms get tired, put them down. This isn't CrossFit for Jesus, okay? So no, no judgment. Uh, but we're going to pray for you guys. Before we do that, though, two gifts for you. Number one, uh, just because, you know, you are a Cleveland guy through and through, I got you a gift that I want you to wear proudly. Uh, just commemorates that the greatest baseball game ever played was on oh, Wednesday in Cleveland. Um, it's a great day when the Cubs beat you. Here you go. Um, love you, man. You have to wear it. Uh, and secondly, last week we gave a challenge for our folks and I said, hey, we want to bless this couple that's coming here. Uh, and so we said we're going to take a portion of the offering of last week and this week uh, just to give to you guys as a blessing to say we are behind you. We support you. We got skin in the game with what God is doing uh, through Vertical Church in Cleveland and we want to be a part of it. Uh, and this is not for you to put in the offering at your, this is for your family to cover some miscellaneous moving needs, whatever comes up, you know, there's a lot of random things that come up. This is for, for you guys. So we have a thousand dollar check that we want to bless you guys with just to say, we love you and we're, we're behind you. So, uh, if anybody has questions about their church, Brian's going to stick around for a little bit today. If you'd like to give directly to their church today, uh, Brian's got the information for that. You can chat with him after the service, but let's, let's pray for them. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful um, for this couple and the work that you are doing in their hearts, their minds, and their lives. Uh, Father, I thank you for the unity that you have given them uh, over the last uh, season of, of uncertainty. And yet, God, you've been so kind to them here in Columbus and uh, reshaping them and preparing them for a greater work in Cleveland. And so, God, I pray that you go before them, clear uh, the way that they would have uh, a powerful impact, not for their name's sake, but for your name's sake in uh, Cleveland. God, we pray that Jesus would be made famous as uh, folks come from all over, uh, out of the woodworks to check out what, what is happening at this vertical church thing that they're just hearing about. Lord, I pray that they would leave far more impressed with Jesus than with Brian and Sarah. God, I pray that you would free him as a preacher and communicator of your word, free him from the idolatry of cleverness, uh, and that he would pursue uh, exalting the risen Christ, and that he would find great joy in serving. I pray for their marriage in this next season, that they would love each other well, and they would demonstrate the gospel to their kids, that they would see regularly the act of forgiveness and grace and mercy richly abounding in their family. Oh, Father, we pray that you would draw many to yourself through the uh, faithful work Vertical Church. God, we pray blessing over them. We pray that you would uh, remind them of the clear and yet simple promise of Psalm 23. That even if they go through the darkest valley, you go with them. That your rod and your staff comfort them. And would they serve out of a deep an abiding sense that the gospel is good news of great joy for all people. So we thank you, we trust you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Yeah. Appreciate you, brother. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for being here. 
All right, none of that counts to my sermon time. All right, let's get started. Uh, the last couple weeks, we have been in a series called Broken Mirrors, where we have been doing uh, something interesting. We've been looking briefly at the New Testament letter of Hebrews, chapter 11, this kind of iconic passage known as the Hall of Fame of Faith that references all of these stories from the Old Testament. And what we've been doing is looking briefly there, pulling some stories out of Hebrews chapter 11, and then jumping back to the Old Testament where those stories are rooted. We've been spending most of our time there looking at those uh, characters. And what we have seen is that each one of these characters uh, is uh, broken. They have some baggage with them. They are imperfect people, and yet somehow they are uh, being used by God to uh, demonstrate what a life of faithfulness looks like, uh, what it means to reflect a perfect creator, even in and through our own brokenness. We've also been exploring how each one of these characters highlights some of our core values here at LifePoint. Today, we're finishing up with the final and what I think is the most important uh, core value for LifePoint. Now, that's debated. Don't tell Dean I said that. But I think the most important one is spiritual intimacy. Spiritual intimacy, that's what we're going to be focusing on today. And we're going to deviate a little bit from the normal pattern of this series that we've been using. I think the easiest way for me to explain what we're going to do today is just to walk through my thought process. Um, like I said, we've been looking at uh, cha Hebrews chapter 11, treating it a bit like a portal to the Old Testament, to uh, uh, jumping back there to look at the full story. Today we are going to make one more jump uh, because the Hebrews 11 reference uh, is to a pretty mysterious character in the Old Testament, one we just don't know a ton about. And so there's a lot of speculation sometimes about this person. Frankly, we just don't know very much about this one individual, a man named Enoch. Let me show you the only mention of him in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 5, uh, verses 18 through 24. Let me read this quickly. When uh, Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. All of the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah for 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, there's a whole bunch of rabbit trails we could go down just from this passage, almost none of which we're going to explore today. But that one phrase sticks out to me that I think is important for us. Uh, Enoch walked with God. What does that mean? What does it mean that he walked with God? What does that mean? look like? Because out of all the mysterious things mentioned about Enoch here, uh, the one thing that is, the one thread that has kind of continued through the storyline of scriptures is this idea of walking with God. And so what we're going to do today, I found myself more and more being drawn back to another passage that I think uh, illustrates for us what it looks like to walk with God. We're going to be looking at some of the most memorable words, I think, in the English language. And what we will see is that to walk with God is a powerful metaphor for the value we're highlighting today of spiritual intimacy. My hope is 
that you walk away with uh, far more than just an aspirational idea of what a stronger relationship with God might look like, but my desire is that God's word uh, would give us a fresh vision for the deep and profoundly meaningful relationship that God desires with us. Today we're looking at, again, not just one of the most recognizable parts of the Bible, but one of the most recognizable uh, sections in all of English literature. I mean that uh, these words have been read over and over again by millions of people throughout the last 2,500 years, at least. Words that have been memorized, recited, reflected upon, written about. They are words that show up in movies and cards, tattoos, tombstones, and ads. They have been prayed, sung, painted, portrayed, and written about for generations. I am, of course, talking about Psalm 23. And on one level, it's a little daunting to try and uh, preach a sermon on Psalm 23, like the, the sheer level of attention that has been given to this psalm in the past makes it hard to feel like I have anything meaningful to contribute uh, about this psalm at all. At the same time, uh, it feels like the, the things I could say have already been said so many times that I run the risk of uh, taking something that really is quite profound uh, and turning it into a long string of theological niceties uh, that you'd expect to find on a bumper sticker. No offense if you're a fan of bumper stickers. But as I was working on this, I began to wonder, you know, for how familiar these words are and all that has been said and done with them, how many have actually believed them? How many people have not just read, prayed, and recited, have even been encouraged, inspired, or impacted in some way, but how many have looked to Psalm 23 and have been absolutely floored by the kind of life this is describing, life to the full, life the way it's meant to be lived, and then have received its invitation to experience, to, to live this new kind of life. I've shared part of this quote several times over the last few months. One of my favorite authors and philosophers, Dallas Willard, writing about Psalm 23, says this in his book, Life Without Lack. He says, one of our greatest needs today is for people to really see and really believe the things they already profess to see and believe. Knowing about things, knowing what they are, being able to identify with them and say, and say them, does not mean that we actually believe them. When we truly believe what we profess, we are uh, set to act as if it were true. And acting as if things are true means, in turn, that we will live as if they were so. And so as we open Psalm 23 this morning and only scratch the surface, it is my hope that we would be awakened to the reality of what Psalm 23 is uh, teaching, that, that all of us here would move beyond knowing and seeing and hearing what is said and, and latch onto believing these words. So if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open to Psalm chapter 23. 
Psalm 23. It's going to be on the screen behind me. And fair warning today for many of you, this is not going to sound what you think it sound, what it should sound like, because I'm going to read from a different translation today. Uh, and part of the reason is so that these words pop a little differently for us. Otherwise, they become so familiar that they become rote. So I want to hear this in a fresh way. I'm going to read Psalm 23. It's on the screen behind me. And even as I'm doing this, take a moment Maybe ask the Lord to, if, if there's a word or particular phrase or a way thing, uh, something is said that sticks out to you. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, as we look to these words today, we're mindful that you have used your word, your living word, to shape and form the minds and hearts of generations past and generations still to come. We pray that today we would experience that that we would be part of your shaping, your continued work to speak to our heart, to invite us into a new way of life, a new kind of life, life the way it's meant to be lived. And would we hear these words not only uh, as beautiful words, but would we hear them as an invitation? Would we receive that invitation to walk with you? I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go ahead and get started. The first thing that we see in this psalm is that David, the author of the psalm, is, is framing a relationship between us and God. And it, it's easy for us to miss this because I, I think we're so used to hearing things, we're so used to just hearing the beginning of this psalm, right? He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And what's so profound, though, about this statement uh, is that it does two things at once. It invites us, you see, to both imagine God and reimagine ourselves in a very specific way. To say that God is our shepherd is at the same time to say that I, we, are sheep. Which on one level is, is kind of a strange metaphor, especially for those of us who have uh, been born and raised in an urban context, a modern context. We don't fully understand the nuance sometimes that David is trying to draw because it's, it's not as familiar of a metaphor for us. But when these words were written a couple thousand years ago, the idea would have been picked up immediately by David's original readers. See, the shepherd was seen as the defender and protector of the flock of sheep. It was the shepherd's role to guide the sheep to to where they needed to be, to, to protect them, to care for them, to defend them. And the, the, the sheep really need the shepherd by themselves. Sheep are not particularly capable creatures. 
right? They, they, they seem to be, by nature, uh, animals that do not do well in isolation. They can survive without a shepherd, but they do not thrive. And what we're meant to see in the very first line of this psalm is that this is the kind of relationship David wants us to imagine between us and God. It is a relationship of dependence. And I think this is one of the reasons why so many people fail to really believe uh, what Psalm 23 is talking about. Uh, Because we don't like to think of ourselves as being dependent. We, We just don't. I mean, in religious settings, and those of us who've maybe been around this type of place for a while, we can talk about being uh, dependent on the Lord with this spiritual vibrato, and uh, we almost never, though, talk about entire seasons of life when we want this. Talk about times when we've had nothing else to hold on to, and so we've had to depend on the Lord. Dependence is not really a positive quality in our minds. It feels weak, like we shouldn't have to be dependent on anybody else. It's not surprising that one of our greatest values in this cultural moment we're living in today is independence. The ability to do it on our own, to get after it ourselves, to make something of ourselves. I mean, how many, think about it this way. How many of you in your heart of hearts, you struggle to receive help from somebody else, even in little ways? Like imagine for a moment you have something hard going on in your life. Maybe um, someone finds out about it in your life group. They offer to watch your kids for an evening or to make a quick meal or to pick up groceries for you. How often do we end up saying no? It's not because we don't want the help, but because we don't want to need the help, even if we desperately do. See how antithetical dependence is to us. It it grinds against our very nature. And yet this is the first thing David describes when he talks about this new kind of life in Psalm 23. See, he is not just talking about a season when it's hard, when we're going through hard things. He's talking about an entire worldview and an entirely new way to think about all of life. Like sheep are to a shepherd dependent. That's what our relationship is supposed to be like with God all the time. And he says it like it's a good thing. The Lord is my shepherd. But notice, out of the relationship, out of that kind of dependent relationship flows everything else that David has written about this psalm. In fact, if we don't get this dependence piece, we won't, we won't understand the rest of the psalm. And it's summed up perfectly in the second half of verse one. Look at verse one again. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. I feel like contentment is probably the hardest thing that I've had to try and teach my kids in the early stage of uh, life for them. Anyone else experience this? In our family, you know, we sit down together for dinner as often as we can, and our kids always get the same thing that Courtney and I are eating, unless we're eating something really nice, and then it's too spicy for them. They get chicken nuggets. (laughs) We get their plates ready, get it all cut up, sit down and we finally get a chance to start talking as a family. Some of you know this drill very well. And uh, then they finish like one thing on their plate. And it's like, daddy, can I have more? 
Daddy, can, 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 I, have, can I have more? And my, my first thought is always, no, you cannot have more. Because like, am I supposed to eat when you go to bed? I mean, give, give me a second to, to like, let it digest for a minute. But Courtney, my wife is so patient in, in this arena. She gets down on their level and she repeats, it has them repeat with her. I get enough. And it's not because we don't feed our children enough. We give our kids enough food, okay? But she gets down on their level and says, like, she rehearses with them this belief. I get enough. I have what I need. And at first, they don't want to do it. And after a few times, things start to calm down. I get enough. Normally, I get, you know, frustrated that we have the same conversation every night. It feels like every night. Uh, but, but honestly, the more I reflect on it, I, I don't think I've really learned that lesson yet. To believe that I get enough. You know, and it's not just me. And our thing usually, as we get older, is usually not food, but we do crave more of something, all of us. Give you a couple examples. I'm not trying to knock having a side hustle, making some more money on the side, but 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 maybe there is something else that we're feeding with that side hustle. What if there is something else we're actually feeding with a new job or a new bigger, better fill in the blank? What if what we're doing is actually the same thing that many of our kids do? Only we don't ask our parents. We're constantly asking God for just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And what it reveals in our heart of hearts is that we don't believe that we have enough. That, that, that I don't have what I need. But I almost do. Just, just a little bit more. And yet here is Psalm 23 again. In the very first verse, confronting some of our most ingrained and deepest desires and values that out of this new kind of relationship, a shepherd to a sheep where we are dependent on him, we have what we need. Psalm 23 sees a picture of a life free from chasing more and more always. That life will never on its own go away. Psalm 23 is talking about a life of contentment, which, by the way, is not the same thing as settling or compromising or just setting the bar low. David is talking about here uh, and now knowing and believing that because our shepherd knows what we need before we even open up our mouths to ask, we now have what we need. And the rest of the psalm showcases this, how our shepherd gives us what we need. He says this, verse two, our shepherd satisfies. Look at verse two. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. See, he starts with this imagery of satisfaction, being full. 
I, th- I think when we in- envision this psalm and some of this language, we, we, we uh, tend to think of sheep somewhere on a pasture, on a hill somewhere, and they're just kind of like grazing along uh, the pasture. That's, I mean, that's at least how I think of sheep. Maybe I'm alone in that. Uh, but I think David is picking up on that mental image that uh, we often have of uh, sheep, and he's flipping it a little bit, right? Because he says, we are like the sheep who have already had their fill who are satisfied, and so they cannot stand and continue to graze. They can lie down in green pastures. He says, the shepherd renews my life. That word life, or some of your translations, if you're reading in your own Bibles, might say soul. It's, it's translated from the Hebrew word nefesh, which is a word that speaks to the totality of, of, of a person. We would break it down today in categories of body, mind, soul, and spirit. But it's all summed up in this one word. That, that, that The way that you, we'd say that today is, he renews me. Like all of me, all of what is broken, what is wounded, what is hurting, he renews or returns it to the way it should be. He renews me. And what David is saying is that when we are in this kind of relationship with God, not one of independence where we only need him for a few things or maybe not at all or momentarily, but a complete lifestyle of dependence on him, our shepherd satisfies More than that, David said, our shepherd guides. Verse four. Verse four. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And again, we're looking at a verse that is very familiar in English prose. I'd say it that way. And it sounds a little different in this translation, but the point is the same, that we will experience deep valleys in this life, seasons of pain and sorrow and frustration and fear and anger, where things are not going the way that they should be or the way we think they should be, where it feels like I really do not think, God, that I have what I need. This is part of life as we know it. But notice... Psalm 23, God does not uh, start becoming our shepherd when we get to the valley. He is our shepherd long before we get there. The point is that when we are in the valley, he sticks with us. He does not move along. He does not walk away. He does not shout back, I told you not to go that way. No, he guides us through the valley. And I use that word intentionally, guides. Because when I think of a guide, I think of someone doing really exactly what David is talking about, who is walking alongside me, pointing things out, helping me make sense of what I'm seeing. And and ultimately, there is a trust you have with a guide because they've been there before and they're walking with you now. This is what our shepherd does in the deepest, darkest valleys we encounter. He does not leave us alone. Whatever our dark valley might be, and some of us have some pretty dark things we have walked through in our lives. Some of us have some pretty dark valleys that, 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 that are around the corner that we don't even know about yet. Long-standing family issues Health issues, financial issues, things that just, they they scare us. They cause deep anxiety and frustration. He does not leave you alone in the valley. 
He walks alongside you, guiding you through the valley. Finally, our shepherd does not just satisfy, he does not just guide us through some of the most challenging and painful seasons of life. Our shepherd provides. Look at verse 5. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. And something interesting happens at the end of the psalm. David is talking in the first half about, uh, about his shepherd. In the second half, he switches to talking directly to his shepherd. Not he, but you. And the metaphor he's been working with over and over again uh, is back, and uh, he's talking about his actual life and his experience. Some commentators say that the reason for the shift is because he's not just, he's not just talking ethereally about what God, he hopes God is like. He's now applying this to a very specific situation in his own life. He is reminding himself of what God is like in his life. And he says this, the Lord meets him, provides more than enough for what he needs. He says, my cup overflows. Right? And the point with all of that has been, uh, of what David has been talking about, is that this is the kind of life that we, we actually want to live. He says in verse 6, right, this is what we actually want to experience forever. We want to have that kind of life where we say we, we, we are dependent on our shepherd. We know and look to him as one who satisfies, who guides, who provides. That is what we desperately want to experience. I think the question we walk away from Psalm 23 is, but like, does that match my own life? Do I actually have that? But I think some of us have been so ingrained with this image of what it means to be a follower of Jesus or part of God's family, so ingrained that it's about what you are able to produce, what you are able to, how well you're able to perform, how well you're able to live up to a set of uh, tasks that some divine being has forced upon you. And yet we forget that what God is actually offering us is a life that deep down we actually want to live. He offers us something beautiful, something that looks far less like turmoil and far more like rest and satisfaction. The question is, do I, do I, is, that, is that the kind of relationship I have with God? Am I constantly spinning my wheels in order to impress him enough, to please him enough so that he'll hopefully take care of some of the things I got going on in my life? And if that's the case, how do we enter into this new kind of life? The problem, like we talked about, is, is that this kind of life that Psalm 23 offers is a life of dependence, and it is so deeply contrary to what we value we genuinely have, I think, in our cultural moment, we have an inability to say and mean, I get enough. And so how is it that we actually step into experience what David is experiencing? You see, what I love so much about Psalm 23 is that it clearly points to another kind of shepherd. 
It points forward to one who embodies all of what is said of this shepherd. It points forward to uh, Jesus, who is Psalm 23 in the flesh. It points forward to a Jesus who is, in fact, our good shepherd, who himself satisfies, guides, and provides for his people. And you see this all over uh, the life of Jesus in the message that he proclaims. I mean, he is the one who calls people to himself to experience the sole satisfaction of new life. When he says in Matthew 11, hey, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Work? A checklist? More things to do to improve, to, to improve. No, he says, I will give you rest. Jesus is the one in, in John chapter four who satisfies with living water. He's the one in John chapter six who satisfies with the, with the bread of life. It's, I mean, this is all Psalm 23 in the flesh, in the person and work of Jesus, in the promise. We, we find this life in following Jesus, in taking on his way of life, in coming to him. More than that, Jesus is the guide who walks with us through the darkest valleys we experience because he has first gone through the darkest valley for us. And for him, it was not a shadow of death. It was death itself. His valley led to death on a cross. Jesus died the death that humanity unknowingly chose and willingly took on for our inability to feel enough, for our insistence over our own dependence. He died the death that we have earned for our sin and failure to live the way God has created us to live. And Jesus rose again from the dead with the promise and hope that any who would trust in him would be welcomed into this new kind of life where he is with us always. The entrance into this new kind of life is not crushing it on the morality scale. It's not, it's not being a model, virtuous person that, that everybody else looks at and says, hey, I kinda wanna be like that person. No, the entrance into this life is simply by faith in Jesus, allegiance to King Jesus. Friends, some of you are here today and you, do not enter, you have not entered into this life. And you feel very deeply, viscerally, the valley, the shadow of death. The hope of the gospel is you do not need to stay there. There's one who has offered something more meaningful, more powerful to you, a new way of life and a new kind of life. And that is found by faith in Jesus. Today is the day to believe, if that's you to trust in Christ and get questions about what that looks like or other things resting around in your own mind and heart about what that means. I'd love to talk with you about that and help you take that next step. But today is the day to believe. Some of you are here and uh, it feels like, man, Psalm 23 is, I, I get that. I kind of feel like I've tried that. And I, I don't know, like Dan, I don't know if it's really working. I just, I feel stalled. I think there's some ways that uh, as followers of Jesus, we need to prime the pump. Again, we need to come back and not just see these as things we say in Psalm 23, but move to, to actually believe and live as if these are true. I'll tell you something that's been really helpful for me. 
And one day uh, we'll get a chance to share fully all of this. But uh, some of you know, Courtney and I have uh, come to Columbus. We came from a really hard season in ministry and life back in Chicago, like painful, hard. Where we felt like, man, we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Yet one of the things that was so comforting, someone challenged me with this. As I was wrestling through, what, what do I, God, what, how, how do we keep moving forward? Was to come back to Psalm 23 on a daily basis. Open it up in the morning. and say, God, I'm struggling to believe this. Help my unbelief. And slowly go through each line in this psalm. He is my shepherd. I have what I need. In fact, it's like that same coaching conversation my wife has with my kids at the dinner table. He is my shepherd. I have what I need. This is kind of priming the pump as we continue to grow spiritually. Got a great resource for you that I'd like to share. Number one, uh, if you just feel like you're in a stagnant place, well, again, if you uh, head to our website, you can download and follow along our DriveCast devotionals that we produce uh, every week, Monday through Saturday, where we have devotional content designed and written to help you uh, step into this moment where you are uh, embracing spiritual intimacy. There's questions, prayer points, action steps, and a reflection on a passage of scripture. It's a great way to get started is on the the Drivecast. We have a very exciting series that we're launching in just a couple weeks as we move into the season before Easter, sometimes called Lent. A whole season of uh, writings and devotional content help, designed to help you uh, step into a greater level of spiritual intimacy. We also have uh, this resource available at uh, guest services on, uh, on your way out. If you, if you really want to read a book, one that has been incredibly helpful in my own life, gentle and lowly, reframing how we often think about Jesus as one who is not a taskmaster, but one who genuinely is gentle and lowly and invites us to come and find life in him. This is a fantastic resource that we have available at Guest Center. You can grab one on your way out. Take a chapter a day in your quiet time in the morning. Friends, as we grow and invest in our spiritual intimacy, slowly investing, even if it's just reading this psalm once a day in the morning, we will begin to see our heart move from just saying these things to believing these things. And you can't put it in, like there's no Instapot recipe for spiritual growth, okay? There's no microwave setting for it. It takes time. Yet as we come regularly, we find ourselves seeing and believing something profoundly different. Let me give you one last picture of this. Again, when Courtney and I were in that season of life where it felt like everything was uh, just collapsing around us. Uh, my oldest daughter, who now is seven, uh, has always been like the Lord has used her in many ways to speak very powerfully and clearly to me uh, as a father, sometimes in ways that I don't really like because she points out like, hey, daddy, like, are you really doing what you're supposed to be doing right now? Um, don't love that part. But uh, she has been very insightful. Uh, and as I was hitting a, a very deep, dry season, she came to me one morning before a Sunday message a Sunday sermon, this is maybe two years ago. And she said, Daddy, I want to remind you of something. I know you're talking about God as a shepherd. 
I drew a picture of what that looks like for you. It's on the screen behind me. That guy on the, under the rain cloud, she said, Daddy, that's you when you're by yourself. But when Jesus is with you, it's like there's an umbrella around you. Daddy, I, I think he wants you to know that he's going to take care of you. And she went on playing her whatever game she was playing after that, not knowing that she just floored me with this prophetic insight. <laughs> and I've kept that picture in my Bible, regularly looking back to it. You know why? Because that's Psalm 23. He is with us. He guides us. And he invites us into a brand new kind of life and following him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness today. And we pray that long after we leave this place, you'd continue to preach to us by your Holy Spirit to show us what it means to live faithfully before you, but also to step into the life that is truly life, to receive the invitation of Psalm 23 to a new kind of life where we are dependent on our shepherd. And in that, watch our spiritual intimacy grow. We thank you, Lord. We trust you. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.